I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. The one who comes to me will never be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of our Thirsty Podcast. Uh, Today we would like to cover the book of Philippians, all four chapters, and then one chapter of the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah. Uh, And uh, this will hopefully bring you some good blessings and uh, happiness from the Lord as we record it on Friday the 13th. Oh, I didn't even think of that. So hopefully you don't suffer from triskaidekaphobia. I don't, no. Okay, do you know what that is? The I I yes, fear of Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. Triskaidekaphobia. I had to memorize that for a Good Friday sermon years ago where Good Friday fell on On the thirteenth. On Friday the thirteenth. So I talked about the fear of Friday the thirteenth. That 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 has happened a couple times in my life. Uh f- Good Friday fell on the thirteenth. Um and uh, I was hearing uh, about some uh, kind of sad topics in the news on the way driving here to record this morning. Uh, and they were talking about um, the immigration issues down in the border. Uh, and there was discussion of the kids in cages and the, the people that are caged up. Um, and uh, I'm not bringing this up to make any kind of political comment, but simply because uh, Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians while he was in a cage. He was imprisoned. Um, uh, He was under arrest for preaching the gospel. And uh, the sort of ironic thing or maybe meaningful thing about it is that uh, this is the letter of the New Testament that Uh, has a record-setting number of times that Paul mentions a form of the word joy in it. Yeah, and that's pretty interesting in that while he's in prison in Rome, he's talking to the congregation in Philippi. This is one of his uh, prison letters. And like you said, uh, rejoice in the Lord always can be a theme for this letter. Uh, One of the things that I found interesting with uh, the letter of Philippians is because you know he's writing it to Philippi, and when I was able to go to Greece with Shelley and a number of other pastors and their wives a long time ago already now, it was really neat going to uh, outside the ruins of Philippi and then to be by the river that would have been very similar to the river where Paul would have met Lydia where we have a daughter, Lydia, and uh, that would have been the first church in Philippi and the first conversion of Christians there. And I often think of this, uh, since I teach a course on the book of Acts, that uh, you have to picture Lydia and, and maybe the jailer, uh, that that Paul converted, and maybe possibly the even the slave girl that he drove the demon out of, uh, that perhaps uh, all of them or their families, uh, their people that knew them, were the ones receiving this letter. Um, now, in uh, chapter one, there are every chapter in Philippians has something or other that is uh, of interest, and uh, I guess you could say that about any chapter of the Bible, huh? That, yeah, I think so. There's something of interest in it's very it. Very astute. Yes, um, deep, deep thinking. Um, but uh, uh, Paul mentions uh, how he is always thankful when he thinks of the Philippians and that it's right for him to feel this way. Um, and, and what he prays for them and wants for them. Yeah, and a pastor can go to the Lord 
in prayer wondering why he got stuck in a congregation with so many issues, so many problems, so many difficulties, so many sinners. Are, are you making a comment on your own life? I think any pastor can do that, yeah. <laughs> and every pastor I know is also grateful for the people that he serves. They're his spiritual children, the lambs and sheep in his care, fellow uh, workers and saints in God's kingdom. And there I think of how uh, in July I was able to go and visit uh, Faith in Radcliffe, Kentucky, where I had served as eight for eight years. And uh, it was really neat that after the service, during the announcements, uh, Pastor Martin, who's there now and was a classmate of mine in college and seminary, he said, well, Pastor Zarling's here. And then we got a picture taken with about 15 members. There's probably about 25 or 30, uh, that, but some of them weren't there. We got a picture taken with uh, the members that were there 25 years ago when I started the congregation or uh, you know, 17 years ago when I left. And that was pretty neat to see those people, and I thank God for them. And one of the one of the older German ladies even said, "If Pastor Martin takes his call, because he was holding a call at the time, and we don't have a pastor, and I die, I'm going to have you come down and do my funeral." <laughs> so, well, well, thanks, but uh, that's a really the job for your pastor. But it's that connection you have with your members that that's what Paul talking about here. Well, now let me ask you, uh, Michael. Well, you were in. Uh, Radcliffe, Kentucky, with all those people that were in the picture with you, uh, were there times when they uh, would have caused you a lot of grief or stress, uh, any of those individuals that uh, maybe um, made, made, made frustrations for you ever? Yes. So, and that's kind of the odd thing that Paul is saying here is that even when uh, those members that, that you know and love and have a dear connection with uh, make grief for you, that uh, it's still right for a, a pastor to say um, that, uh, that he, he thanks his God every time he thinks of you. Um, the point that I wanted to make about verses uh, 12 through 18 uh, is all about these uh, false teachers that Paul says, well, they're actually, I shouldn't call them false teachers, uh, but maybe more hypocritical teachers. They were preaching the gospel. Paul doesn't say that they were misleading the Philippians. He simply says that they were preaching the good news of Jesus out of envy. They were trying to cause trouble for Paul by getting, uh, drawing his followers away from him, but they were still preaching Christ. And yet, Paul said, I, I don't care. I'm glad if anybody is preaching Christ, uh, as long as it's in his, his true word and, and his truth and purity. Um, and maybe the way that uh, you can apply this to yourself, uh, dear listeners, is by thinking about how even if there is a, um, a, a total unbeliever, who is who somehow made it through our college and seminary system and then uh, is is preaching in your pulpit um, that is still God's word working through him it doesn't matter if he believes it or not uh, he, he is he is proclaiming Christ to you and that's uh, delivering faith to your heart and uh, uh, declaring you righteous in God's sight uh, even if the messenger is doing it for false reasons. I want to go back to verse five, where Paul writes, because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, and 
uh, we haven't been geeky enough lately, so I wanted to br- talk about fellowship and talk about you know the fellowship of the ring, you know from <laughs> Tolkien, uh, that there were nine riders who served Sauron, and then there's the nine companions who set out on the quest to destroy the One Ring. You know all this, right? You got Frodo Baggins who carried the ring. You've got the hobbits Sam, Merry, and Pippin, the elf Legolas, and the dwarf Gimli. The wizard Gandalf, Aragorn the Ranger, and Boromir of Gondor. Uh, but that fellowship... I, I didn't have those on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, The fellowship suffered together throughout the book and movie the cause of carrying the one ring to its destruction. But as Christians, Paul says that here in this chapter, and I think again in chapter 3, he talks about fellowship in the suffering of Christ, that we work together... Uh, as a fellowship, as we carry forth the one gospel for people's salvation. So there's the geeky stuff for you. That that That's your geeky moment. There you go. Uh, I'm sure we won't have another before the end of no, the but episode. No, but now I've got some history for you. Okay. So verse 12 that you were just talking about, where he says, uh, where he's in prison, and this happened to me actually took place to advance the gospel. Uh, and then he goes on to to talk about how it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to all the rest that I am in chains because of Christ. And uh, then through my chains, the majority of the brothers in the Lord have become much more confident about daring to speak the word of God fearlessly. So I was listening to a podcast the other day called Americans Forgot- America's Forgotten Heroes. And the first episode talked about Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. So Chamberlain was a Union soldier during the Civil War. During a crucial battle, Chamberlain was hit with a musket ball, uh, and he was bleeding profusely, but he knew that if he fell to the ground, his men would turn around and flee. But instead, he, Chamberlain turned toward his men, he took a sword and he stuck it in the ground, he leaned on the sword, and then he took the flag with his other hand and he yelled at the men to charge. And then they charged up the hill, and then after they left, then he collapsed, thinking he would die. But the key is, people will follow courageous leaders, even to their own deaths. Christians will follow their courageous leaders, like uh, Paul was saying, uh, the people in Rome, even in the palace, the Philippians were following Paul in chains, uh, and we will follow strong Christian leaders, even if it means we're going to be in chains or imprisonment or even death. We become confident about daring to speak the word of God fearlessly. So uh, the woman who said that if uh, Pastor Martin uh, took his call and, and she died during the vacancy uh, and you would do her funeral, um, what uh, text do you think you would preach on? I don't know. I'd probably have to preach in German, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking there's one that's very kind of popular for a lot of uh, funerals or people who are in uh, deathbed or lethal type of uh, situations. And uh, that's the whole section that comes from uh, verses 
18 and 19 and uh, 20 to uh, about 26. Uh, this is where Paul is talking about what's what's better. Uh, what would you prefer? Would you uh, rather go on living on this earth and uh, interacting with fellow believers and building up the body of Christ, uh, which is a great and honorable thing, uh, or uh, would you prefer to be with your Savior and to be taken out of this life, which Paul says is better by far? Um, and that actually makes me think of an elderly member that I had once. She didn't die until after I had left the congregation, but uh uh, she was sort of uh, talking one time when I was visiting about how she was wondering why God was keeping her around and, and she was well into her 90s and uh, having you know lots of health issues and so forth and uh, I, I sort of as a young pastor very this is one of my first visits I think uh, that she that I, I sort of took the angle of well now don't talk that way it's you know God has a, a purpose for you on this earth and so forth uh, but then it wasn't until much later that I realized, no, Paul actually does say it's better to depart. And and so it's not a bad thing or a sinful thing for her to wish that uh, or even ask that God would take her home. Yeah, with those same verses, too, uh, right toward the end of the first chapter, Paul had up to this point reflected on the past. But now he begins looking to the future. And what's his attitude toward the future? What resources could he count on? He says he could continue to rejoice. And his two unconquerable resources were the prayers of the Philippian Christians and the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the other day, I was talking to a pastor and I had it on speakerphone. And one of my daughters was surprised when she heard the pastor say that he was going through a blank storm except he didn't say the word blank. Uh, and, and I think I can feel that way too in the ministry. I think many pastors can, other Christians can. And yet Paul gives us every reason to rejoice. Like Paul, we have the prayers of God's saints to lift us up and the spirit of Christ to keep us there. Uh, they give us the reason to rejoice even when we're in the midst of a blank storm. And I think the major lesson for you to learn there is uh, don't have phone conversations on speakerphone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and th th that's, that's such a good way uh, to think about uh, your whole Christian life. Uh, the way that Paul puts it in verse 29 is that um, it's a great honor for you to uh, be called so that you are a believer, uh, that you have Christian faith. That's, that's a high and praiseworthy calling that God has given to you. Uh, and, and Paul then ups the ante and says, uh, you, you've not only been called to believe in Jesus, you've also been called to suffer for Jesus, uh, as I'm doing right now. And uh, that's, that's Paul talking from prison. And uh, that's not a way that we often think about it, but it's a good way to frame it. Uh, it is a high honor to suffer uh, for the name of Christ. You ready to go on in chapter two? Yes. Here, right. here comes a big one. So in the first couple of verses of chapter two, Paul explains being like-minded with a triad, three ideas, uh, that they all show love in the same way, that their inner feelings, their spirit would be the same, and that they would all think the same way. So the key to being uh, or to having a like-minded conduct would be to have a humble attitude. That's verse three. 
and then consider the concerns of others more important than their own, and that's verse 4. So what comes from being united with Christ, being comforted by his love and enjoying fellowship with the Spirit? Christians share their blessings, and that shapes how they deal with one another. If they're united with Christ, then they'll be united with one another in faith and practice. And there's a lot of talk in our culture right now about being united. But Jeremy, if you notice how unity is mentioned, it's all about forcing unity, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Wear this, get jabbed with that, use these preferred pronouns, believe this, accept that. Otherwise, you can't work here or enter here. You're going to be called out and canceled, be, be united or be ostracized. But that's not unity. That's coercion. That's uh, fear, not love. Christian unity that Paul mentions here is based on encouragement in Christ, comfort from Jesus, and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the tough one for me is really verse 3. I, I can think of a whole handful of individuals that uh, have, have caused me frustration uh, in my life. And uh, then verse 3 comes along and Paul says, consider those people better than yourself. <laughs> and and that is, uh, that is an, an impossible task uh, in, in my human nature. Um, but uh, thankfully, I also have a Savior who uh, sets for me this model uh, to follow. And it's, and it's okay to think of Jesus as a model to follow. Uh, I, I try not to get too much on the bandwagon of what would Jesus do. That's uh, not a good uh, speculative road to follow. But uh, it is true that we, that we want to model ourselves after our Savior. And that starts with your attitude. It starts with your mindset. And that's why verse 5 uh, leads into this uh, next glorious section. Paul says, uh, let's start with having the same attitude as Christ. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then uh, we've got that whole long section that gives us the humiliation and exaltation in its clearest form that uh, Paul ever taught it. Yeah, and when you and I teach our catechism students and we go through the second article of the creed, we talk about the six steps of Christ's humiliation. Conceived, birth, suffering, crucified, died, and buried. And then we walk our confirmands through the five steps of Christ's exaltation. We go up, resurrection, Descent into hell, uh, ascension into heaven, sits at God, the Father's right hand, and will judge on the last day. And Paul contains all 11 steps in verses 5 through 11. So while Jesus was on this earth, uh, it says that he did not consider his equality with God as a prize to be displayed or um, as, I guess you could say, like an advantage that he could leverage over other people or use for his own benefit. Um, and I think that has a lot of application to the way that you lead your Christian life. Uh, just because you have power, just because you are in a position of advantage somehow, does not mean that you have to exert your strength. Uh, and it certainly doesn't mean that you have to exert your strength for your own uh, personal gain or benefit or your own glorification. Every single miracle that Jesus did, you can see 
somehow that it benefited somebody else. He never did a miracle just to make his audience go, wow, and be, say, I'm really impressed by this guy. And, and that's, that's a, a good thing for us to follow. And another way of translating that, that verse of instead of a prize being displayed, uh, consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Uh, that he didn't need to e- to grasp equality with God because he already had it. So rather than grasping at it, he let go of it. Hmm. I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and then verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant. Uh, and... Of course, it doesn't mean he took out his godhood from himself. He remained God. Uh, he just set aside the uh, full and frequent use of his godhood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Full and constant use of his power and glory, he set it aside. Uh, and we confess that in the Athanasian Creed. Though he is both God and man, Christ is not two persons, but one. One, not by changing the deity into flesh, but by taking the humanity into God. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say on the humiliation and exaltation? I did not. Uh, because it, that brings us right up to this uh, kind of tricky little verse that uh, Paul almost doesn't sound Lutheran. He, Of course, he wouldn't call, have called himself a Lutheran, but uh, th- this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So uh, how, do we, how do we understand it? He says, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what does that mean, Jeremy? Well, now, the easy way out See, is... Notice I asked you before you Before could I could me. throw you the yeah. curveball. Uh, the easy way out is just to say, well, keep reading, because the very next verse... Uh, says it is God who is working in you both to will and to work. Um, so maybe what I'm saying is, is there a good way to understand the first part? Uh, how, how can you apply this, this uh, verse 13 to verse 12? Yeah, I, I think continue to work out your own salvation emphasizes that after our conversion, then we're actively involved in the battle. Uh, I'm going to be talking uh, in my sermon for the next two Sundays on the battle that we have with the devil. Uh, We're going to be celebrating the festival of St. Michael and all angels a month early because you're going to be preaching on the festival of St. Mary, uh, which is August 15th. And uh, there it's kind of a neat text from Revelation 12 as St. Michael and the angels cast the red dragon and his demons, uh, the evil angels, out of heaven. The only problem is he cast them down to earth, where now he's doing battle with us. And so we are constantly battling with him. And the work we need to do, like we covered before with First Peter, is uh, to resist the devil. Uh, it's to con- continue to use the means of grace, the gospel and word and sacraments, because that's how the Holy Spirit works to strengthen our faith and keep us in the faith. And that, we, that way we see that God is at work in us as we are working alongside of him as sanctified saints. So after conversion, then we can talk about cooperating. We can, it's, it's very little, it's minimal, the work that we do. Uh, it's God who's, who's willing and working in us. Um, I, I honestly didn't have a whole lot to say about the rest of the chapter. Uh, did you have any thoughts on uh, verses 19 through uh, 30? Yeah, with Epaphroditus, I just wanted to mention, uh, you know, he is an encouragement to Paul 
and Paul is going to be sending Epaphroditus back to the congregation. And thinking of Epaphroditus, I think of other men uh, that are used to encourage our pastors. So I used to serve as a mentor for Pastor Scoggins. So one of the things that our seminary has been doing for a while now is having a mentor for young guys out of the seminary for the first three years. Uh, because it is very different and very difficult than anything else that anyone does. And so to have an older pastor uh, mentor that young guy to keep him in the ministry. Uh, now our church body this last year has also started to have coaches for our brand new missionaries. Even if, you know, Jeremy, if you took a call to go into a brand new mission field after Shoreland, even though you're an older pastor, they'd give you a coach just because the mission field is very different. Uh, that we have shepherds on our district mission board for our district's missionaries. Uh, we have circuit pastors for our pastors to talk to. And all of these men are encouragers of pastors because you know this, that being a pastor can be long and difficult and thankless job. Uh, pastors can't talk about a lot of issues with their wives. They don't want to drag them into it. Uh, even though they have friends in the congregation, they often can't talk to uh, the friends in the congregation, the council members, the elders, because it doesn't want to be, they don't want to be gossiping or, or they may, might not understand, uh, could get back to other members. And so even though the public ministry is public, it can also be very private and lonely. And that's why it's good for pastors to have other men to coach, encourage, have a beer with, uh, give them a kick in the pants. Throw axes. Throw axes with, yep. And this is what uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus were, and this is why there were so few options that Paul had to send to the Philippians, uh, because uh, it, it can be a, a lonely and thankless job. Uh, and so he was very grateful to have men like Timothy and Epaphroditus to uh, send to the Philippians. Um, in chapter 3, uh, we get into that topic of circumcision again. You know, I've discovered that... My mom listens to this podcast, and she uh, one time came to, well, a couple of times came to visit us in Kansas, and uh, she said, somehow, whenever I come to visit you in Kansas, you're always preaching about circumcision. So uh, here, mom, here it comes again. Uh, Philippians 3, uh, Paul is talking about, uh, well, actually, he's talking about repeating things over and over. <laughs> so there's another one. He said, mom, uh, it's no trouble for me to write the same things again to you, uh, and it is a safeguard for you. Um, so he says to beware of those dogs, those mutilators, uh, the, the flesh mutilators, the people who think that uh, the way to get right with God was by following the old covenant of circumcision. Uh, and, and he says, uh, if they... If, if they can put confidence in their flesh, uh, I've got way more reasons to put confidence in my flesh. Uh, I am a Jew's Jew. Uh, I was circumcised uh, according to the customs. Uh, I was uh, zealous for the law like a Pharisee. I was, he was a Pharisee, uh, and he was very popular, and uh, he gave all that up. And I, I found it interesting that Paul 
says, beware of the dogs. So he's writing to Gentiles who the Jews call dogs, mm. but now he's calling these Judaizers uh, dogs. Uh, so this is a derogatory term. And then he says, beware of the mutilation or the mutilators. Uh, and he, yeah, there he's talking about the circumcision of, uh, you know, and he's making a play on words. You don't pick it up in the English, but it is there in the Greek of uh, Greek word for circumcision is cut around and mutilation is cut off. Hmm. Uh, and the false teachers were misleading the Philippians on the necessity of circumcision and thereby threatening their faith. That's why Paul gives this strong warning. And then he says, we are the circumcision that uh, as Christians, We've had our hearts circumcised by faith in Christ, that our sinful nature was cut off when we died and rose with Christ. Uh, and then Paul goes on to talk about how uh, all of the things that he did, e even, and he, that's including um, his previous ministry, all of his uh, uh, ministering for Christ with God's word. Um, well, I'm setting this up wrong. Let me, let me start here. Um, do you have a, a septic tank at your house? Not anymore. We did growing up. So if you could imagine uh, all of whatever you throw away in the garbage, whatever goes into the compost pile, uh, take all of that and, and dump it into a, a full septic tank uh, and let it sit there in some summer heat for a, a week or so. Um, and, and that's actually the word that Paul uses when he says, when I think about my previous accomplishments, they are all that. that that's the word for, for rubbish there. Um, it, is, it is the, the total off-castings of, of civilization. And, and he says, that's what I think of my previous accomplishments. But when I, you know, when, when you... You and I hear uh, people talk today, uh, and, and maybe even in our own hearts, um, you, you look back at previous accomplishments and you're like, well, they're not that bad. I, I don't know if I would, I mean, my, my previous accomplishments aren't anything to write home about, but I, I wouldn't call them the, the septic tank uh, uh, rot, um, but that's, that's how Paul thinks of his, his prior life. And then going on to verse 12, he says, uh, I haven't obtained all this uh, or reached the goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of for me. He says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, press on. A lot of uh, a lot of people love these verses, especially you know runners. You know, pressing on toward the goal. The mascot for Shoreland Lutheran High School is the Pacer, is a, is a runner. And there, I think of years ago when my older two daughters were in cross country. They're up in Belgium, Wisconsin, and they ran their race. And then they had a, a fun run. They called it for the parents and coaches. Well, I ran in that. Uh, it wasn't anything, but it was anything but fun. But before the race, some some guys came over from another high school and they just picked me at random and said, we just we just picked you to uh, cheer for you during the race. What's your name? And I said, Fred. It's all right, Fred, we're going to cheer for you. And so that as I'm running they're come on, Fred, you can do this, Fred. You got this, Fred. And Abby and Miriam, my two older daughters, they're just busting up laughing. I can see them. And. 
you know, I was struggling. I wasn't in good running shape then. And like an idiot, I trained that morning by running a 5K on my own and then running it that afternoon. And uh, coming back up the hill, they finally said, oh, we know your name's not really Fred. We know you're a pastor. Come on, pastors, you got this. And I, I said to them, this is the dumbest sport ever. Just running, just for the sake of running. But the key is you press on toward that goal. And elsewhere, like in Hebrews, it talks about the great cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on as you're running that race. Uh, And I do know that as slow as I ran, I ran faster because they were cheering me on. I wanted to get done. And uh, because, like I said, it wasn't fun anymore to run that race. But that's the way life often is. You run this race, whether it's a 5K or a marathon, and you run it, and what's the goal? What's the prize? It's what Christ has given, or has won for us, the white robe, the palm branch, the crown of glory. The, uh, the thing, yeah, that I think uh, of all the things that you've said on this podcast, that, that, that's going to stick with me now. The idea that you you actually do run faster when somebody's cheering for you and and in Christ we always have somebody cheering for us and uh, we always uh, and and then he generously gives us more people the cloud of saints the witnesses that's what's going to stick with you i think so yes i had someone texting me last night uh, and he was he was brought up about our discussion on fig newtons and nutter butters <laughs> cuz he had just listened to that podcast i thought that might be one thing that sticks with you but no it's it's going to be running. Well, my phone just died, and I have no way to keep track of how long we're talking now. So this could be a very long episode, but I'm going to try not to do that. Um, uh, we're going to race. We're going to run. We're going to pick up the pace. We can cut it off wherever you want. So you can mention circumcision for your mom as much oh, as you want. <laughs> Let's get all of our dad joke puns in there. There you go. Um, uh, the, the only other thing I wanted to say on chapter three is uh, just having to do with um, verse verse 20. Uh, when Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, you have to remember that Philippi was a, a Roman outpost. It was a, a popular retirement community for the Roman army. And uh, kind of like America today, and I'm going to make some applications to Americans today, uh, it, it would have been very uh, unpopular for Paul to say, uh, you know, your most important citizenship is your citizenship in heaven, uh, because th- they would be very proud Roman officers that uh, I fought for my country, and uh, now I'm retired, and, and now I'm going to keep cheering on the empire. I'm going to keep cheering for the Roman army. And uh, patriotism is fine, but uh, let's remember that uh, our citizenship as Americans is not the the false god that it's it's not a god that will save us like Jesus has, uh, and uh, we often turn it into an idol uh, in the name of patriotism. Um, and uh, Paul gives us a good reminder uh, that our citizenship is in heaven. And I actually wanted to bring this point up before in chapter two when Paul talked about death on a cross. That would have been very offensive mm-hmm. to patriotic Romans to say, wait, wait, we worship a God who was, they, they, they couldn't even say it out loud. They wouldn't have said well, a cross. We don't talk about that. We do that to the worst of the worst, but we don't even talk about it in polite society. Yeah. And you're right. And never to a Roman citizen. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to finish with verse 21, because as I was reading this verse, 
By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, he will transform our humble bodies to be like his glorious body. And I say, oh, where do I know that from? Well, it came to me that I've said that countless times over my time here as pastor, because those are the uh, words that I'll say at the committal service, right over the casket, just before giving it the blessing and the benediction, then it goes into the ground. Uh, we the, talk so much about dying and going to heaven that I think we completely overlook and culturally we miss it. Uh, as a society, we, we forget about, uh, well, as a church society even, the, the body is going to come back to life. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's not just die and go to heaven. So uh, this is what I would say at the casket. It has pleased the Almighty God and His wisdom to take out of this world the soul of our departed brother or sister. We now commit His body to the ground, or uh, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. And like I read it there, I think, I do emphasize those last few words, too. And uh, I, I just wanted to ask you real quickly, uh, Jeremy, because I had this question yesterday in one of my shut-in visits. Uh, one of my ladies asked about uh, cremation. Hmm. So what would you tell someone if he or she is asking about cremation versus you know, being buried in the ground? Uh, one of the things was that... Uh, I heard somewhere that it, it actually doesn't save you as much money uh, as a, a normal um, embalming. Uh, but another thing that I've said is um, it's kind of like playing cards or dancing. There was a time in our society where if you played cards or if you went out dancing, that that was basically... Uh, uh, or, or I guess it may be a better thing would be today to say a rainbow flag. Uh, today, would you go out and fly a rainbow flag if you were a Bible-believing Christian? Uh, you'd probably not because um, as much as it's a beautiful symbol from the time of Noah, uh, more so in our society, it is a way to say, I uh, align my thinking with the LGBTQ movement. And you wouldn't want to do that, even though in and of itself, flying a rainbow flag, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, well, the same thing years ago was with cremation, that if you, cre if you did cremation, it was a statement to the whole world that I don't believe in a resurrection of the body because uh, let's see if God can put these pieces back together. Well, um, today, that doesn't send a message of defiance to God as much. Um, and so there's really no reason to forbid cremation uh, based on God's word. But um, uh, certainly if, if people have pangs of conscience about it, I would advise them to not, not do it. Right. And I've, I mentioned that to this lady, too, in, in other conversations. Exactly. I said uh, to go to the cemetery. Uh, we don't go there to visit uh, the deceased and talk to that person because that person's with God in heaven as a saint. He or she isn't listening to us here on earth. So whether it's in the ground or ashes in an urn, God is going to put that body back together again. And this person was thinking about it, like you mentioned, the stewardship of it. She said, you know, the whole 
embalming and the casket and all that would be like twelve thousand dollars, whereas uh, and she said it was like three or four thousand for uh, for cremation. And so it's a stewardship thing too. But the big thing is, I said the same thing to her years ago. I think pastors taught that it was wrong to do that, and maybe it was at the time, but it's not anymore because God's going to raise our bodies, whatever form they are, whether they've been eaten by sharks or they've been blown up or they've been cremated or they've been in the ground and just come to dust one way or another. God's going to put that body together to be like Christ's glorious body in heaven. There are a whole lot of things uh, for us to talk about in chapter four. So even though I think you kind of maybe meant it as a a joke, would you like to Cut, a, cut ourselves short on uh, Zephaniah, and, and should we just end with chapter 4? We can do that. Let's try that. Let's see, let's see how that happens. If we get a lot of complaints, we'll, 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 we'll refund everybody's money. <laughs> there you go. Um, the uh, uh, first thing that I notice in chapter 4 is that um, nothing's new under the sun. Uh, uh, Christian men and Christian women, in this case, Christian women, um, have disagreements with each other. They get into fights and that doesn't make them, you know, verse uh, three makes it clear that Paul still considers them believers. It's not like he's holding hellfire over their heads and saying, uh, you're, you're, you're damned if you don't, uh, if, if you don't make a, if you don't kiss and make up, um, no, he, he still considers both of them believers, uh, Oyodia or Euodia and, and Syntyche. Um, but he says, could we, could we work our differences out? Yeah. And this is a good reminder to use these verses with Christians or members who become upset with each other. Uh, remind them they're on the same team. They're working alongside each other for the cause of the gospel and the growth of God's kingdom. Their names are written in the book of life. Nothing else really matters. And as you go through that, just notice all the gospel motivation here. Uh, Verse four is a very popular one. Um, And it just makes me think that, uh, First of all, it's a command. So uh, let's remember that it's law. Uh, there's a there's if you want to say it, there's a, there's a threat in the, in these words, uh, even though they're saying to be happy. Um, but I also think that uh, the the matter comes down to there's always a reason to find happiness. You can always find joy, uh, first of all, in your forgiveness through Jesus, but uh, second of all, in any kind of a situation in which you find yourself, there's always a bright side to it. You can always find uh, something good about it. Uh, and so it's not impossible to rejoice always. And Paul says, why do we rejoice? The Lord is near. And then that goes on to verses six and seven. Because the Lord is near, we rejoice always. We're not going to be strong-willed or pushy, but gentle. We'll trust in the Lord at all times and not worry. We'll go to the Lord always and present our request to him in prayer. We'll include thanksgiving in our prayers. We trust that God will protect our hearts and minds by his peace, which he puts us at rest in his presence. Uh, verse 7, again, another popular one. This is one that uh, you hear a lot of pastors use uh, as they uh, wrap up their sermons. But um, 
the one thing I want to point out about it is that uh, I had a teacher at the seminary that one time uh, a student made a comment, something along the lines of, uh, well, of course, God and his word are uh, counter to logic or that they God's word goes opposite of logic. Um, and I think I, I know what that classmate meant and what he was driving at, but uh, the teacher went on to say, well, I think a better way to say it would be God's will and his word go above logic. They go beyond understanding. And I think that's better than saying, you know, instead of saying God's word makes no sense, God's word is illogical, um, that's actually the argument that a lot of false teachers use. They, they try to say, well, you know, the Bible is a hard book. The Bible is a, a lot of difficult things in there to understand. So are you sure that's what it means? No, we, we can very clearly discern what it means. Uh, so let's not say that God's word goes counter to reasoning. Let's say God's will and word go beyond or transcends, surpasses understanding. And then Paul goes on later on to say that I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Uh, Christ was in Paul's heart and life. So Paul was able to handle every situation through Christ who gave him strength. And I think I could preach every Thanksgiving sermon on this text and not run out of things to say about being content. Because Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content and learning. And that means you have to keep teaching people. Uh, the Lord uh, the Lord needs us to have patience. We don't just pick it up and now all of a sudden we're content. We got to keep hearing it over and over again. I have to backtrack really quick because I already called up, called out my parents on this one. Uh, hey, mom, dad, uh, I, I memorized this one time, but uh, you remember years ago, the passage books in Toledo, um, I need to re-memorize it because now this translation uses different wording. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent and if anything is praiseworthy, think about these things. A little five-year-old kid they made me learn that one. Well, Pastor Mrs. Lightning, you can be still still be so proud of your little boy. Yeah. Oh, and then also uh, later on, uh, working at a, a restaurant where I was a waiter, I had a guy that was kind of worldly minded, but he thought he was pretty slick because he knew a Bible passage. And it was um, uh, verse 13. He said, before a wrestling match, every time before my wrestling match, uh, I would always say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, and I guess you got to give him credit that at least there's God's word involved in his life somehow. Uh, but it's really not saying, uh, hey, I'm going to get pumped up for my you know, football game or my wrestling match or any kind of sporting event. It's after everything Paul just said, what you were talking about with Thanksgiving and enduring, it's more like Paul is saying, I can put up with anything through Christ who strengthens me. And that goes on to the last few verses. Paul talks in verse 15 and following, uh, you Philippians know that in the beginning of your experience of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. And then he goes on to talk about Thessalonica and so forth. So uh, 
Paul first preached the gospel in Philippi. Then he went to Thessalonica where he experienced persecution. And then he went to to Berea where the hostile Jews from Thessalonica came and uh, pursued him there. And then he left for Rome. And so Paul might be wondering, uh, hey, you know, Philippi was pretty nice. I, I like to go back there. And again, going back to thinking of pastors and teachers, you know, they might have accepted a call and they go, this is not quite what I had signed up for. This is pretty difficult. Boy, I wish I could go back to that previous place. But we learn from Paul that we're content in any and every circumstance. And we rejoice in the Lord always, even in a difficult situation, a difficult ministry, a church, a school, high school, college, a mission field, whatever. God puts us in the right place at the right time to make all things right through God who's working through us. All right. I'm, I'm sad unless you want to tackle Zephaniah. Uh, the last thing I just wanted to mention is verse 22, just so that all of you listeners pick up on that. All the saints greet you, especially those who are from Caesar's household. Just what does that mean? It means that uh, the believers in Rome were probably close to the emperor. Uh, this is probably government officials, servants in the emperor's court, members of the palace guard, perhaps even members of the emperor's family, that God is using Paul in chains to convert uh, high-ranking officials in Rome. All right. So uh, next week, uh, we're going to see if we can do some catching up somehow. Uh, and we're going to cover Zechariah. Uh, we're going to get to Colossians, Philippians, Haggai, figure out well how we're going to do that because so, so we want to get to Revelation very soon. Uh, so this is Pastor Zarling with one of, I'm going to help you out and tell you who this guy is, one of Spider-Man's sinister six foes, uh, Electro. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. (laughs) 